Welcome to The Laptop Lifestyle. I'm your host, Alexis Teichmiller, digital content creator for brands and companies and online entrepreneur. Whether you're running a business full-time, starting a side hustle, or just beginning to think about starting a business, you are in the right place. The Laptop Lifestyle is for you, the unconventional thinker, the person who isn't afraid to step outside of their comfort zone and pursue creativity over complacency. Each week, we will unlock how to build passionate online communities and thriving online businesses. All right, Laptop Lifestylers, let's jump in. Good day, my Laptop Lifestylers. Welcome back to another episode of The Laptop Lifestyle with your host, Alexis Teichmiller. Gosh, guys, I hope that you are having an amazing day and that your heart is filled with gratitude and ambition and goals. And I also hope through all that, that you've taken some time to rest and breathe and be thankful for another day to make a difference. Okay. Let's jump into today's episode. I am this girl's biggest fan. Her name is Elise Dharma. And I first came across Elise through Instagram, which is, you know, not by accident since she owns her own Instagram agency. So let me tell you guys about Elise. So Elise Dharma makes beaches, coffee shops, and co-working spaces her office by working remotely, all while growing her international marketing agency named Canopy. Does that sound familiar, guys? (laughs) The laptop lifestyle. This is like a perfect fit. She's run her agency full-time through over 30 international cities with spotty Wi-Fi and monkeys grabbing at her snacks. (laughs) Sounds like my kind of of party. (laughs) Through her agency, she's collectively grown Instagram accounts to over 250,000 followers, brokered hundreds of deals between influencers and brands, and has delivered more blogs and newsletters than she can count. I can definitely feel, feel you on that, girlfriend. With an Instagram following of over 70,000, Elise additionally offers online courses and one-on-one coaching to other aspiring travelpreneurs who seek freedom from the nine-to-five grind. On this episode, we talk all things social media, specifically Instagram, what should be in your bio. We also really dig into Elise's story, how she started her business, and how she really got started in this space and how she travels the world. It's incredibly inspiring. We talk through all things, what it really means to be a laptop lifestyler and run a full-time business. And she also hosts incredible retreats as well. And we also talk about those and more info on where you guys can learn more about the retreats that she hosts for digital nomads and laptop lifestylers like us. Oh, and if you could do me a favor, if you're listening to this episode on your podcast player, screenshot it, jump over to Instagram, upload it to your stories and tag me in it at Alexis Teichmiller. I love seeing you guys listening to the show and starting conversations with y'all over on Instagram. We've built quite the fun community over there, haven't we? I think so. So definitely go over there and I'd love to chat with you guys about today's episode. All right, y'all, let's dive in. Hey, hey, Laptop Lifestylers. It is your host, Alexis Teichmiller here. And today on the podcast, I have a new friend. Her name is Elise Dharma. And y'all, her travel photos and her online educational content, I mean, this girl is on fire. And I've actually been following her for the last couple of months. And I'm a big fan. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Elise. (laughs) 
Wow. Thank you so much for the intro. I didn't know you were such a big fan because I have been stalking you for a while um, with your work. So I'm glad that it's mutual. Yeah, girl. It's a mutual thing we've got going here. And um, for those of you guys that don't know Elise, she hosts incredible retreats. And so I'm thinking that at some point, Elise, I'm going to have to come to one of your retreats. I think it's going to have to happen. I think so too. I mean, you're living the laptop life. Why not come work with me from Bali? I think we're going to be doing some other retreats in the future that are going to be more with North American time zones. So you're going to have options. Definitely. All right. I'm into that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I definitely want to dig into the retreats in in a little bit, but I would love for you to kind of share how you got started in this space. I know that you were working a corporate job and then you kind of got sucked into social media. And then nine months later, you were a full-time social media freelancer. So like, give us the spiel, girl. I'm super curious. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely have the salient points down. I would say that it began earlier than that um, time period for me. I started traveling as a teenager when my mom got a job with an airline. And the reason why she did that was because my dad grew up in Australia. He's from Europe. So I have family all over the world. So once we started traveling and, and I got to see life on the other side of the world, literally, when I met my relatives in Australia, I just became obsessed with seeing how big the world was outside of the bubble I had been raised in. So at 18 years old, the day after my last high school exam, I was on a trip to Europe by myself for 30 days with Kentucky. Shout out to Kentucky. If anyone's taken a trip with Kentucky, that's how my parents met in the 80s actually was on a Kentucky tour. Um, but I, I joined my own tour for 30 days. I was 18. I was really new to the, <laughs> the world in general, very naive. And it really opened up my eyes to all, you know, the, the cultures that you get exposed to in Europe, to just this feeling of being an adult for the first time in my life and having the total, total freedom to make whatever decisions I wanted to in that moment. I'd never really experienced that up until that point because I had been raised in a fairly conservative, strict religion growing up. And that trip was also the first time that I chose to live life not within the boundaries of that religion. So it was an eye-opening experience for me in many, many ways. And it really kicked off I'd say the next 10 years plus of being obsessed with travel, like literally obsessed. You know, I tried to go to university. I suddenly started flunking my classes. I was a straight A student in high school and I I was just looking for any internship or study abroad program that would get me to somewhere new. And eventually I quit school after two years. It was just not worth my time or money because I had no idea what I was doing and I was just trying to travel. So I got a job on a cruise ship. It was literally within a week's notice. I got an email through my university. I applied and within a week I was off to, I think it was New York and I boarded a cruise ship and I worked the cruise ship for the summer. And this was when I was 20 years old. So again, I was just like chasing that feeling of being free through travel, like intensely. And of course, life had other plans for me. I met a guy on the cruise ship, like on day one. And um, like you do, you know, yes, as you do when you're trying to start a whole new chapter in your life, you know, life has other plans. 
And so that sort of derailed my plan for, for working and traveling for a year. Um, we entered into a long distance relationship. I did that for, we did that for a couple of years actually. But, um, after two years of that, I was like, okay, I can't do long distance anymore. Um, I still don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I was working in real, in real estate at the time. I tried a lot of things in my twenties and, um, I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to move to where he is, which is Toronto. So I was in Vancouver at the time. So essentially moving across Canada and I decided I'm going to move to a new city and finish my degree and not be in a long distance relationship anymore. So that's what, that's what brought me to Toronto where I enrolled in a program that my academic self would have never considered before. Like I was a straight A student, 100% wasn't good enough. It had to be over 100%. Like I was a major overachiever and I thought I would do a business degree and get my MBA and be married by the time I was 24 and have two kids by the time I was 28. I had a whole plan. So instead of that, I enrolled in a program called Radio and Television Arts and I decided I wanted to do something fun. I wanted to study media and journalism and I wanted to be a broadcaster. So I studied that in school and that's where I really learned a lot of skills that I use today in my business, which is quite amazing because a lot of people say, well, oh, university, it's, it's, you know, not the way to be successful anymore. It's going to, you're going to be saddled with debt, all this great stuff. Um, but in my experience, my university education helped me because I chose something a little bit more practical and hands-on, um, I learned about screenwriting. I learned about filming. I learned about editing. I learned about talking on camera. These are all things I do every single day in my business today. And while I was in that program, I actually got a job in 2010 as a social media marketer. And the idea was, well, I just needed some side income to, to cover my rent as a student. And that job, which I thought I would have for maybe a semester, turned into I worked there for four years, basically. I stayed at that job as a social media marketer. And back then, it was really just Facebook and Twitter that I was managing for the business. Um, I stayed at that job until I finished my degree. And then when I finished my degree, I went, I became full-time in the position. And then I moved up, moved up the ladder a little bit, got some promotions. But within a year, I was just like, oh, I can't see myself you know, doing my boss's job one day, or I, I, I'm working more, I have a bigger team, I have more responsibilities, but my income is not changing. And plus, it had been years since I had traveled. And I was really like, okay, how do I get back to that point where I'm traveling? And I knew I wanted to have my own business. I read the four hour work week, it was in the back of my brain, like, what am I going to do to make this happen? And so one day at my work, a friend of mine messaged me and he had a six-month-old startup at that time. It was an e-commerce fashion brand. And he messaged me and he said, hey, I'm looking for a rock star marketer. Do you know of anyone that you could recommend? And you know, for the last year, I'd been thinking about what kind of business I could build for myself. And this was an opportunity where I was like, hold on. I could help him. Like I have marketing experience. Why don't I just put myself forward and see what happens? So that was the first time where I said, Hey, I'm actually looking to take on clients, planning to quit my job in the new year. You know, let's chat. 
So within a week, I think it was, um, we had a whole contract outlined of all the social media responsibilities I had for his business. And a big, big focus for his brand was Instagram. I mean, this was 2013. So Instagram was pretty new still then. It wasn't overrun by marketers like it is today. Um, but it was the wild, wild west. And within six months, we were able to grow the account to 100,000 followers. And a lot of that was through influencer outreach and marketing. So I learned all of this just by trial and error. Right. And then and really, really quick, what year is this too? You that, said I, that I got my first client? Yeah. This is the end of 2013. Okay. So like five years ago still, I mean, there was not as many... I don't know. I feel like people weren't focusing as much on social media like they are now. I don't think so either. I mean, it is so different now. It is so prevalent and so much more understood the power of social media. At that time, it was more so still considered to be, oh, that's those are the networks that teens use or young people use to kill time. It wasn't so much in front of um, businesses as a way to grow their business, grow their presence, all that kind of stuff. So it was a very different time then. And even looking back, there's some things that I wish I'd done differently. Like I could have probably grown my business way faster had I been more, uh, if I if I was thinking kind of bigger picture back then. But you know, you live and learn, you do the best that you can. Um, but yeah, this was 2013. I, I I mean, Instagram came out in what, 2011, I think it was. So, so it was relatively new. And um, yeah, I, I, I think within nine months, as I started kind of explaining and talking to my network that I was taking on clients, I got referrals. Um, I got more client options sent my way. And within nine months, I was able to quit my job and work for myself full time. That is incredible, girl. I mean, seriously, that I feel like, and what I love about this is that it wasn't this like straightforward linear journey because it never is. And, you know, you were testing out a lot of different things. And I think that's a really important part of figuring out what it is that you truly want to do and like what your, what your full purpose is, is you have to test and experiment a lot. Um, I, I'm with you on studying something too. Like I, I'm back and forth on on college. I don't think everyone needs it, but I went to school and studied marketing and then I had a minor in creative nonfiction writing and I use both of those things every single day. Mm-hmm. And so I think it just kind of depends on on your outlook on education. And then I have a follow-up question. You moved you moved to Toronto for the guy. Yeah. Did what happened? <laughs> Well, uh, as these stories typically go, we, I, I broke up with him like eight months after moving. <laughs> um, we had a, you know, our relationship was, it started on a cruise ship, which isn't really reality, right? And then when you do long distance for two years, that's also not really reality because you're seeing each other. I think we saw each other once every three months and you're still in vacation mode. We, neither one of us had much money then. So it was pretty limited. Um, and then by the time I moved to Toronto, you know, that's when we really got to see like what a relationship was like. And it just didn't make sense for where I was at. I was in mentally, I was in such a place of, oh my gosh, like new city. This is the biggest city in Canada too, by the way. So it feels like New York. It feels like I just landed in New York and I was, you know, I had the world of opportunity in front of me. I could do acting. I could do improv. I could try to do modeling. You know how it is when you're in your early 20s and you're just like, I should try everything. 
So I was in such an experimental phase in my life that it didn't really make sense to try to be in a in a relationship where I wasn't, you know, exploring and adventuring and that sort of thing. So I did just ultimately feel I ultimately felt like I needed to be free for that phase of my life. That makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm curious when it comes to making tough decisions about whether you're ending a relationship or you are transitioning out of certain friendships that maybe don't support you anymore. How difficult is that whenever you know you know what it is that you need, especially if you can see that you're growing in a certain direction. But how do you how do you make those tough decisions on who's in your life? It's really challenging. And I felt like within the first year of running my own business full time, there were some unexpected changes in my life when it came to the friends that I associated with. Um, if you, if you or your listeners or anyone who has, you know, started their own thing and they've started to put their themselves out there in a different way, it's funny the reactions you get from your network of people who know you because they're used oh, yeah. to seeing you as one person, as one way. When you evolve and change and all of a sudden you're talking about yourself more or you're posting different pictures or you're just putting yourself out there in a totally different way, people will react in a way that is not necessarily about you, but it's 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 having to do with their own personal reaction to you changing, to you putting your, yourself out there. And I I had a few experiences with friends who who I thought, you know, were good friends I was very close with, but then when I started to change and create a life for myself and a business, I felt like the support wasn't always there. I felt like there was was some underhanded moves sometimes. And, you know, you just get that vibe from people. Like, do they really have their best intentions there for you or not? So I had to go through some transitions definitely in the first year of my business. Sorry for the sirens. It's okay. <laughs> On a, someone's, having, someone's having a really bad day. Seriously, I'm on a main street in Toronto too, so I'm getting all of it. Um, it's all good. Yeah. So, so what what changed for me was that quote of, you know, you are the sum, uh, or you are the average of the top five people that you spend the most time with. And I really had to take a good hard look at who I was spending the time with. Who did I feel like 110% had my back and who was I a little unsure of? And I ultimately distanced myself from those who I had to question whether they had my back or not. And then those who I felt like with 100% surety they had me, I just spent more time with them. And some of those people were mentors and advisors of mine. And that was also really, really key to have in those lower moments or those moments of uncertainty. I needed to talk to someone who, you know, maybe they'd created their own business before, or maybe they've put themselves out there in that sort of way. I needed to get their perspective every now and then when, when things were feeling tough. And that's what got me through those lower moments for sure. I love that. And I I also know that quote and I've held it so close to me the last couple of years. But I do think that that is incredibly crucial especially when, you know, owning your own business, the emotional roller coaster that you're on all the time 
you need to have people surrounding you that are going to be able to really be there for you and that are going to understand. For sure. It, it becomes so much more apparent when you are on your own with your own business, doing new things, feeling scared, feeling pumped. You feel so many emotions. And yeah, your network and your support group, like they become so imperative at that time. For sure. So you started teaching other people how to use social media too, because you went from client work to then kind of into the online course space, correct? Yes, exactly. And right now at this time, I'm doing both still. Okay. What was the transition from doing client work only to then switching to kind of a wider audience, teaching courses and hosting retreats and kind of building more of an online community versus just service-based? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking back, I'm really glad at the length of time I took to grow my business because, you know, when I first started my services business as a freelancer, that was quite a stretch from my normal every single everyday life. And then when I became full time and started running and creating an agency, that was also another big step, another big leap, getting used to a full-time client roster, hiring contractors, um, traveling when I wanted and working abroad. And I hung in that space for about two years. It was a good year to, to two years where you know, that's all I was doing. I was pretty much making the same amount of revenue every single year. And it wasn't until one summer I wanted to grow my agency business. I wanted more clients. I wanted to scale this business because I had gotten used to the location independence. And I was wondering, well, can I create financial independence for myself? Okay, so let's, let's generate some more revenue. I need more clients to do that. So I decided since I was in the e-commerce space and Instagram was such a popular platform for e-commerce brands because it's so visual, I decided I would grow my personal brand on Instagram, which was non-existent up until 2016. Um, I decided I would grow a personal brand on Instagram as proof to future clients that I could grow their Instagram. So I spent the summer focusing on my own Instagram Um, I had a ton of travel photos that I used for my content. I started telling stories through my captions. I started sharing more about who I was, um, my life. And then I I started attracting this following of people who they didn't want my e-commerce services. They didn't care about that. They wanted to know how I was traveling so much, uh, how I was growing on Instagram, how I got to the point of where I got to. And that's when I realized I had a second business on my hands and I didn't know what to do with it. And that's when I also realized, huh, there's probably been other people who have done this before. I should find a coach. So up until that point, I'd never even thought that the concept of a business coach could you know, benefit me. I just kept figuring it out and doing it on my own. But this was the point where I thought, you know what? I have this following of people that they're asking me for things. I don't know how to give it to them. I'm going to find a business coach. So that's when I hired my very first business coach. It was like the biggest investment I'd made into my business up until that point. And I hired a coach to help me figure out what to do with this personal brand following that I developed on Instagram. And that's when I really learned and got into, you know, creating a freebie, creating a mailing list, growing my mailing list, running live webinars, running live classes, which was I remember being so scary initially, and now it's like no big deal. Um, 
And then a lot of those classes, I wasn't even selling or pitching anything. I just wanted to get live in front of those who were the most committed to showing up live with me and asking them like, I mean, I was teaching, so I wanted to practice teaching as well. But I was also asking them, like, what is it that you want the most? So it was a good couple months of building a Facebook group, really doing lives and getting connected to who was following me. And that's how I landed on teaching Instagram marketing, because that was their number one question was, how did you grow your client accounts? How did you grow your accounts, your account? So basically, it was the feedback um, after months of doing market research that determined that okay, I have a product here that I can build and it's going to be an Instagram marketing course. That's that's kind of how I fell into the educational space. And I really liked it. I you know, did a fun challenge to pre-launch my course. I, I mean, I remember when I pre-launched it, I think about 50 people bought and I was shocked and scared. And I was like, holy crap, now I have to deliver. <laughs> you know, I I, I sold this thing that I'm going to create and make. Now I have to make sure that people get results. So it was kind of the scariest step in my business too. Um, like this was a point where I felt like I was putting myself out there like never before because here people were actually paying me to create something and deliver something of value, which I know it sounds basic, but when you're experiencing it for the first time, I don't know. I just felt all the emotions and um but it was really, really cool. I built the course live with my first group of students. They gave me a ton of feedback. They got results right away. And since then, it's been about a year, actually maybe a year and a half. It's just been a snowball effect. You know, I've learned so much more about, okay, it's great to have a course. It's great to have a product. But if you just let it sit there on the shelf and you don't do anything with it and you don't talk about it, people aren't going to really randomly come across it. Like you really need to be putting it out there. So I've learned so much more since then about Facebook advertising and holding masterclasses and evergreen masterclasses and all that great stuff. So creating courses and entering into the educational space is really what helped me scale my business from, I think I was about five figures a year with my agency to hitting six figures. And now it's multiple six figures a year which is crazy, um, which also as a caveat doesn't mean that that's all income I'm making. There is a difference between revenue and expenses, which I'm pretty pretty vocal about on my uh, blog where I publish income reports. I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression about what, it, what it's actually like with an online business. Um, there are major expenses to running a big business too. So I like to share that with my audience because I'm also in the business of helping people become a freelancer. So I feel like it's my duty, you know, if, if I'm inspiring someone to become a freelancer, I feel like they should really, really know what they're in for and what the realities are of running an online business. As great as the perks are, you have to be prepared for the challenges as, as well. I I really appreciate that a lot because I think there is this misconception about running an online business and that it's going to be either easy or that success is going to come very quickly. And this has been years for you, years of, you know, testing something, pivoting. And it's not just this like, I'm going to launch a product and everyone's going to buy it. No. I mean, there's so much more that goes into that. So I love that you have been very transparent about your numbers. What do you think is the biggest expense for your business? 
at this point, a large part of my business is based off of running Facebook ads. So I'd say that's the number one expense. But there's also an ROI that I can directly correlate to my spend. So yeah, so it makes sense statistic or from a numbers perspective. And then I would say the second biggest expense is my contractors. Now I have a team of at least four to five people every single month. And they're all doing different services for me. So making sure that everyone is paid every month is probably my second expense, second biggest expense. That's big. Do you think you'll ever hire or is there a part of you that wants to stay more independent or do you want to build out a team? I would love to have, you know, two, maybe three really, really good full-time members. I think that's what's going to help me scale my business to a point where I want to want to take it in the next few years. Right now, I have part-time contractors, which also helps me keep everything running as is. Um, but it would be really, really awesome to you know, eventually have team members who feel like the business is their own business. They feel happy and satisfied working and creating something as if it's their own. I I don't want anyone to ever feel like, oh, have to go to my job because that's how I felt as an employee. And what's the point of, you know, making someone else feel that way? So that would be the ultimate dream. And then I think that's what's going to ultimately help me achieve that lifestyle freedom that I really, really want. Yes, I have location independence, but you know, I don't think I necessarily have the ability to just step away from my business for weeks and everything continues to run as is, right? Like if I can reach that point one day, that would be awesome. And to, and to me, that would be the ultimate freedom. Yeah. And also just kind of the sustainability that comes along with that too, versus always pouring money into Facebook ads or open closed cart all your products, which like people that are always in launch mode, I mean, that's exhausting. Um, I know working at ConvertKit, I see a lot of that, that a lot of creators are kind of moving more towards an evergreen model so that all their revenue doesn't come from like one month a year. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's what I did my first year too. And launches are exciting, but... I'm pretty sure every single launch I had like some breakdown at one point, like the the stress levels were just so high. Um, And so now I I like to do one launch every quarter. And I I feel like that's a good balance for me. Um, But yeah, doing monthly launches or whatnot, it's it's quite the quite the marathon. Yes, I cannot imagine. Um, Okay, I'm obsessed with the fact that you've built this community of kind of online nomads who are able to work remotely. And it's kind of very similar to the laptop lifestyle. So I'm curious, and this is mostly me asking for me too, but also my audience, Mm -hmm. how do you work and travel? Because I travel quite a bit for work. And then because we're a remote company, I can also work from anywhere. Um, And so I also travel for personal. And the, the thing I've found is that there's a very fine line and boundaries that you have to set in order to truly work and travel at the same time. So I'm kind of curious, like what tips or strategies or what have you learned from trying to work and travel at the same time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there definitely is a balance. And I mean, I've been doing this, the work and travel thing since 2014. 
And it's still evolving for me. I know it looks really sexy from the outside, but working while you're traveling has its own set of challenges and sacrifices. And you're always feeling FOMO in some way, right? Like if you've just landed in a new city and you're inside your hotel room or your Airbnb working, you feel this FOMO like, oh, why am I, why am I inside? I want to be outside exploring. And then when you're outside exploring or you're hanging on the hanging out on the beach, you still have this feeling of like, oh, I should be working. Like things need to keep going. So you do have, at least for me anyway, I tend to have that feeling. Um, and and result, and that's also because I don't have my business set up to a point where, like I said, I can step away for weeks at a time and it's going to continue to run. But that's definitely where I'm working towards taking it to. So for me, I don't love tr- trips that are like a week long. I find them really disruptive, um, especially if I'm time zone ho- hopping. It takes me a couple of days to adjust, you know, and then I've, I tend to work maybe at a 50% capacity than when I'm at home in my home office. So the timing of the trip has to be really important too. It can't be in the middle of a big launch or anything big going on because I know I'm going to be working less. And when I book those trips that are like a week long and in the middle of something, uh, I always regret it. I mean, I'm just too stressed to be enjoying the trip and then I'm dropping the ball in my business. So you got to be strategic about it. I prefer trips that are about three to four weeks at length um, as a minimum. That way it gives you some time to really adjust to the time zone. And then I also really like tropical um, locations as well probably because I'm Canadian and I want to get away from the cold. And then in the tropical climates, I find that I have a different routine there. I tend to get up earlier with the sun, maybe 6 or 6.30. I'll do a couple hours morning work and then have some breakfast. And then I like to... I like to go out like from 11 or 12. I'll go out for a couple hours and go check out the city or go to the beach. And then... After dinner, I'll usually do a couple more hours of work too, if if there's stuff that I need to get need to get done. But if I am working at that 50% capacity, I can generally do everything I need to do in the morning. So that's typically my tropical climate um, work work uh, schedule. And then the other thing that's a must is making sure my phone is unlocked and getting a local SIM card if I'm not gonna roam with my you know, data plan, but just popping in a local SIM card and making sure I have data on my phone at all times because relying on Wi-Fi, you know, at your hotel, at your Airbnb is just not good enough. You gotta, you gotta make sure you're staying on top of emails and um, anything that might come up even while you're out exploring the city. I love the part about the data too, because I have, I have definitely been in situations where I can't check my phone because I'm in a foreign country. And then that just that compounds a lot of other stress. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a, those are really good, good points. And I think it's also having a realistic expectation of how much work you're actually going to be getting done. Mm-hmm. I always think I'm going to be way more productive than what I am. And so I try to structure my days where, especially if I'm working full time and traveling, I'll wake up at six and work straight six to two. So I'm like getting just a straight eight hours in. And then at two o'clock, I'm out. And then I might check in for an hour in the evenings when I'm back at my hotel. But that gives me two, like two o'clock in the afternoon until basically the whole evening um, to go explore. And and those are long days. Don't get me wrong. And I'm super tired. <laughs> but um, I found that it's 
it makes me feel more productive. I definitely hear you on the FOMO thing too, girl. Like whether you're working, you wish that you were, um, you know, you're, you're wondering what you're missing. And then if you're traveling, yeah, same, same on both sides of the track. Um, okay. So Instagram queen, <laughs> what should we be doing that we're not doing on Instagram? Like if we, let's say you're, um, you know, you're a content creator and you are trying to hit, you know, the next milestones, whether that's like, let's, let's say you're smaller. So let's say you're under 10 K you're trying to hit 10 K or you're trying to hit 20 or 50. Like what is it that moves the needle so much? I've noticed that whenever I'm traveling, actually my follows and engagement goes way up versus whenever I'm in one place and then, you know, hashtags and engagement, but what are things that you teach people? Mm Hmm. Yeah. The number one thing is people want numbers. They want followers on Instagram and they're not clear on why or what they're going to do with more followers. So the number one thing I ask my students to, students to choose is what is the purpose of your account? What is the end goal in putting in this effort to grow on Instagram? And within my course, I teach three ways that you can actually monetize your growth because I I mostly help online business owners grow their Instagram to grow their business. So I can help people monetize in three ways. Number one is if you have a service-based business like my agency, I can help you attract, you know, those target leads, those target clients, and then get them over to your business so that they convert into clients. So that's one way. Number two is if you have an online product shop. So if you sell physical goods, which most of my clients do, how do you get your followers to buy from Instagram? And then number three is if you want to be an influencer. So if you do want to have 50,000 followers and have brands send you free product or, or free trips, then how do you do that? So I ask my students to get clear on what is their end purpose. And for a lot of people, they're usually growing a personal brand or you know they're a blogger, which is related to their personal brand as well. Um, and that's totally fine. But after you know your purpose, you have to get clear on, well, who are you talking to on Instagram? There are now over a billion users. So your people are there. But the more you can cut through the noise and the crowd and just speak specifically to that target person that you want, the faster you're going to attract them, the more they're going to land on your profile and see immediately like you are for them. And that's where people miss the mark quite a bit with Instagram is they have cloudy messaging. They have a cloudy brand on Instagram. You know, maybe a good potential follower lands on their profile, but if the follower is confused about who they are, what they're offering and what's in it for them, they're not going to follow. So I find that people try to try to be too many things. So just come back to what your purpose is. Why are you trying to grow on Instagram? Perfect. Once you know that, now only speak to that one person that you need. You know, who is that target client that you're trying to attract? Just make your content, your captions, your bio speak to them. You want them to feel like, "Oh, this is just for me. This is perfect. I found what I've been looking for." And if you can make someone feel like that, then they are going to read your captions. They are going to engage with your posts. They are going to click the link in your bio. You know, they're going to sign up for your freebie, whatever it is that you're doing, they're going to take that action. So with Instagram becoming so popular now, I really, really teach focus on quality followers versus quantity. You don't need a bunch of people who don't care about what you're saying. You need 
even just a thousand, like you can do so much with a thousand quality followers who care about what you're saying than 10,000 who don't care. So I really emphasize, you know, know what you're doing with your account, where you're going with it, and then focus on those quality followers versus quantity. Y'all, I hope you were just taking notes <laughs> because that was so good. I mean, especially the clouding mess, cloudy messaging. I think that I even struggle with that is when people land on my page, it's like, what is she, what is she there to help me with? So I'm curious when it comes to the bio, I know the bio is super important. What should people be doing with their Instagram bio that they're not doing that will really help them clarify their message so that when people do land on their page, they know what it is that they to expect from them. Yeah. I think the bio is tricky for most people and myself included because we evolve and we change, especially when we're growing a personal brand and that's okay. Whatever you share today, you can change it in a month if you want to. But in general, here's how I like to write a bio. The very first line of the bio is not about you. It's about your target follower. Okay. Even if you're growing a personal brand, Pretend it's actually not about you because it's not. You're re- you're really trying to craft a bio that again speaks to that target person, that target follower, to make them feel like, oh my gosh, I finally found this account that I've been looking for. You know, they're speaking to me. So the first line should pretty much say what's in it for them, right? Your target follower, they're reading your bio. Tell them in that first line what's the value for them to follow you. Now with Instagram, I think that people give value in three ways. Number one, they entertain. Number two, they inspire. And number three, they educate. Generally, most accounts do one or all of those things, entertain, inspire, or educate. So if you do one or all those things, try to say that in your first line of your bio. Like, you know, free Instagram tips for digital nomads could be one for me as an example, where I'm telling that person who identifies as a digital nomad or they want to be one, I'm saying to them, I'm going to give you free Instagram tips, right? So super specific. So that first line should be what you're offering and to whom. The second line I like to use as a way to share how you're different or what's super unique about you. So it could be like a personality quirk. It could be something that you're super interested in that's kind of random. It could be any special features that you've gotten, like, you know, in Forbes or Entrepreneur. Um, it could be it could be anything like that. But whatever makes you stand out as unique or different, I put that in the second line. This is also a great place where you can speak the language of your target customer or client. So any lingo, any jargon, you can put it in that second line. And then the third line is generally a specific call to action as to what's in it for your target person to click on the link in your bio. So I do like to make it a specific call to action. So don't just, you know, leave the link and not address it. Literally say in the last line of your bio, click this link for my XYZ freebie, you know, like literally say, or click this link to read my XYZ blog post. So really be specific, again, letting your person know what's in it for them. So that's my underlying message about the bio is try to make it not about you, but about your target follower and letting them know what's in it for them. 
I love that so much. Another great way to know what's in it for them is to ask them. And that's what I love about what you did before you even had anything to sell. You, I mean, besides services, you just were teaching people online on webinars and then you were asking them, what are you struggling with? What is it that you want? And then you knew what to create. And so if you're struggling with what it is that you um, are based, based on who you're attracting now, ask your existing audience, you know, what is your biggest struggle? What do you need help with? And then they're actually using the language that you can speak back to them, you know? And so if they're like, hey, I need more Instagram tips, perfect. Versus maybe they don't resonate with something like online strategy, you know? So, so I think, I think that's brilliant. And, um, I really appreciate you sharing all of that girl. I wish I could talk to you for forever. Seriously. Mm-hmm. You're such an inspiration to so many women and, you know, female solo travelers and just, you're such a boss. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. I have one more question for you, but before I ask, I would love for you to share where people can connect with you online and then also give, give people a little bit of a blurb on your retreats. Yeah, sure. Well, of course, there's Instagram at Elise Dharma. You can follow my, it's mostly my travels there. And then you can head over to my blog, elisedharma.com. That's where I share lots of blog posts on Instagram marketing, creating a freelance business, being a digital nomad, all that great stuff. And yeah, I am into holding retreats now. This is kind of a new thing for me. I held my very first retreat this summer in Lisbon. It was a total experiment. I was honest with my audience like, hey guys, I haven't done this before. I know it can be awesome. Let's try it. And, you know, nine ladies joined me in Lisbon and it was eye opening. Like, this will probably be another story for another day, but having that in person connection to people who I had known online for years was crazy. You know, the last night we were all sitting and saying goodbye and crying. And it was just crazy what could have happened in seven days. Once upon a time, we were strangers. And now here we are, best friends. Some of the ladies are traveling around the world together already, meeting each other. And yeah, it was just illuminating. So powerful. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it's really hard to describe. So it's because of those connections that that happened that I now feel compelled to continue hosting in-person events. As much as I run trainings online, I think you need the in-person balance. I know I do. I work online by myself all day. I need human connection, whether it's my boyfriend or going to in-person events. So um, I'm excited to be hosting my next retreat. This time we're going to be in Bali. It's going to be in 2019, just at the, the start of the year in February. And I'm actually hosting two retreats. Again, trying something new. But one retreat is going to be for those who have an online business and they're looking to grow it. And another retreat will be for those who just are curious about being a digital nomad and they want to start their business. So we're going to have different teachings and programmings for each group. But yeah, super excited. It's going to be nine nights in Bali. Um, If you are interested, head over to elisedharma.com. It'll be right there on my homepage and you can take a look. Awesome. Girl, (laughs) I'm like trying to figure out how to make the Bali retreat work. Um, I actually have my company retreat during the same time as as the grow. And so, Uh, yeah, I'm bummed about that. But I know I'm going to make another one. I just know it. Guys, I'm going to link up all of those those resources that she just shared as well as where to, to learn more about her and her retreats in the show notes. So make sure that you check that out there. Elise, again, I'm so thankful for your time today. I have one more question for you and it mm-hmm. is, 
what does the laptop lifestyle mean to you? Great question. Once upon a time, it meant location independence. Then it meant financial freedom. And now it really means lifestyle independence. And that is what I'm working towards right now. I know the three of them, they might all sound similar, but I feel like I've experienced different phases of all of those those aspects. And I could tell for me what I need. It's really that freedom in my life to be in my business if I want to, or be traveling if I want to, or just take a day off and chill and turn my brain off. So that is what I am working towards with my own laptop life goals. 